Well, if a podcast gets better the second time you do it, then this one should be much better than the one I did last night that you'll never hear. And the reason why you'll never hear it is because the audio levels were not very satisfactory. Uh, That's a production issue. It is uh, something that I could fix if I wanted to wait to release this podcast until tonight, but I wanted to get it into your hands as fast as I can because it's a little bit after one in the afternoon and we just had a major announcement. Hi, welcome to the Monday edition, the October 18th edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Glad to have you along. Appreciate your time and attention and would really appreciate your patronage of our sponsors, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, AUIinfo.com, and of course our friends at Willis Spangler Starling, willisattorneys.com. The major announcement is that Ohio State's game against Penn State will now be a 7.30 kickoff on October the 30th. So the next two Buckeye games coming out of the off week will be at night, both at 7.30, this Saturday at Indiana, the following Saturday at home against Penn State. You'll recognize the Buckeyes this Saturday at Indiana. Two weeks from now against Penn State, well, you'll recognize them because you'll understand that Penn State is not the team wearing the all-red uniforms Ohio State will be. I hate the all-red uniforms. I hate messing with Ohio State's uniform. I know a lot of you like it. That's fine. I'm just saying I'd rather look like Ohio State than Miami of Ohio. But I get it. It's a Nike you know, give a giveaway. It's a give back to Nike, a bow to Nike. So all hail the God of Nike, Ohio State against Penn State, October the 30th, 7.30. It's an annual tradition. They wear like their ugliest uniforms a lot of times against Penn State. We'll see if these are worse than those uh, despicable gray, black, hideous things they had on a couple of years ago. My guess is you don't care what they were wearing, just that JT Barrett rallied them from a late deficit and they made James Franklin look like the world's worst clock manager once again, which James Franklin is always wont to do. So we will see what happens. We'll see if uh, their quarterback for Penn State, Sean Clifford, is back from his injury. Penn State plays Illinois this Saturday. They were off last week. James Franklin guards injuries pretty staunchly. I would assume that... Clifford will be back if he's not. There's no way. There is no way, no chance, zero zip nada, that Penn State has a chance to beat Ohio State if Sean Clifford doesn't play. I think they only have only about a 15% chance of beating Ohio State if Sean Clifford does play. But that kid they threw in there against Iowa, who gave him three points and nothing else, he's not ready to play. And that's because Will Levitt, the guy who came in at Ohio Stadium, Two years ago, is now quarterbacking at Kentucky. He had a tough time with Georgia's defense on Saturday. But Penn State needs a backup to Sean Clifford, and he's uh, the kid they have is not the answer. It was interesting. I was thinking about the uh, Penn State quarterback situation. It's pretty clear to me now that Caleb Williams is starting at Oklahoma. He started Saturday and played well in Oklahoma's win over TCU. Don't you figure Spencer Rattler is going to transfer out of Oklahoma? as fast as he can after the season ends. And I wondered, where will Spencer Rattler wind up? Would Penn State be a place where Spencer Rattler would possibly wind up? Because that kid's not ready to play. And Penn State has recruited very well in every other uh, facet. But we'll see. The uh, game that matters is the game coming up in Ohio Stadium in two weeks after the Buckeyes take on Indiana this week. And the, the Indiana game is an important game because Ohio State has to run the table. They have to be undefeated uh, in the Big Ten. They have to uh, rebound from their Oregon loss, go all the way to the finish line, and they'll be in the playoff if they do. 
But I disagree, disagree staunchly with Indiana or with uh, ESPN in saying that there is uh, no chance that Cincinnati has a better postseason resume than Ohio State if Ohio State wins out. And the reason I disagree with that is because, sure, that's kind of the popular view when you look at the fact that, well, Michigan is ranked sixth and Penn State is ranked seventh and Michigan State is ranked ninth and Iowa's ranked 11th. And if Ohio State beats them all, like how impressive will that be? Okay, well, it'll be impressive if they beat them this week. It won't necessarily be impressive if Michigan has lost twice by the time they play Ohio State. It won't necessarily be impressive if Michigan State has a couple of losses by the time they play Ohio State. It won't be impressive if Penn State loses to Ohio State and then continues to lose after that, and they could. They have to play Michigan State after that. Uh, They have to play Michigan after that. So I think to say that, oh, all Ohio State has to do is win out and Cincinnati can't possibly keep up. For instance, this week, what if Ohio State goes into Indiana and wins by, oh, I don't know, what if they win by a touchdown? What if they win by 10 points? What if Cincinnati's 38-24 to win at Indiana is more impressive than Ohio State's win at Indiana? And what if Cincinnati has a win at once-beaten Notre Dame and Ohio State ends up beating a bunch of teams that finish 8-3? Hmm, and three? So I think we tend to like assume... Teams that are in the rankings now will continue to stay in the rankings, and their only loss will be to Ohio State. That's typically not the way it works. Michigan State plays Michigan at home in East Lansing in two weeks. Michigan gets Penn State at home. Michigan plays at Maryland. Now, Michigan won at Nebraska 32-29. to 32-29. They beat Rutgers 20-13. to Am I to believe that a team that beat Rutgers by a touchdown at home and a team that needed a late field goal to win at Nebraska is a team that's going to go into Maryland and not struggle? Like, I find that hard to believe. I find the Michigan at Maryland game to be all Michigan wants, particularly after Michigan has played in succession Michigan State, Indiana, Penn State. Like, that's Michigan's back half of the season after they play Northwestern this week. They play Michigan State, Indiana, Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State. Like, if you don't see three losses there, then get your eyes checked. Get your eyes checked. As for Penn State, well, I think, you know, they got one loss already. What if Penn State would lose to Ohio State and then Penn State would lose later on to Michigan State? Is that possible? Of course that's possible particularly if Sean Clifford is out. If Sean Clifford is out, then they're also going to have a hard time winning at Maryland. They might have a hard time winning at Maryland, period. So I know Maryland looked like garbage when they played Ohio State in the horseshoe a couple weeks ago, but Maryland can score, and Maryland might just have a surprise in them. Do I need to tell you about uh, Maryland's ability to surprise people in College Park? I don't think I do. I think you all remember that game in Urban's final season, which came down to a two-point pass and should have been caught but wasn't. So Cincinnati has an impressive win at Indiana when they trailed 14 to nothing. They have a very impressive win at Notre Dame, and they're just 
smoking people. They smoked Central Florida. I watch a lot of college football. Right now, to me, there are four teams in the country that look like the four best teams to me. And they look like there is some considerable separation between these four and the others. And the number of those teams are I think I'm going to I think I'm going to put them in no particular order so that, you know, I don't have to put <laughs> I'm just going to say no particular order. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Cincinnati. Those are the four best teams. No, 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 Oklahoma, no. It changed quarterbacks in the middle of the season. You barely beat Texas. You can't play a lick of defense. No. Not you. Not Oklahoma State. Oregon, you can get back into that conversation if Oregon plays impressively all their games, particularly their game at Utah next to last game of the regular season, and then they would come out in the Pac-12 title game and they would smoke whoever it is that comes out of the South. Uh, Stanford is in their uh, is in their division, so they're not going to get the chance to play Stanford again. That would help them enormously if they could play Stanford again because they lost to Stanford in overtime, but that's not going to happen. So, yeah, Oregon is the team that I would say is uh, fifth. Are there other Big Ten teams there? Is Notre Dame there? Mm, Maybe. But those are the four that I see right now. Those are the four best teams. Ohio State is one of them. Cincinnati is one of them. And I don't think you can denigrate Cincinnati because they're in the AAC. They're beating teams like they should beat bad teams, and they're beating pretty good teams on the road, Indiana and Notre Dame, those to me are, Notre Dame's a top 15 team, and Indiana's a top, mm, probably top 30, top 35, uh, pretty good football team. Not a terrible football team at all. Speaking of terrible football teams, first of all, let me remind you, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters gives you 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Go to HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com and order coffee, tea, Chocolate from Cocao, a cover crop for chocolate. Non-GMO, sugar-free, gluten-free, like dark chocolate. Tastes great. Much healthier for you. Hemisphere Coffee, many repeat customers. Thanks to all of you who have done that and made Hemisphere a regular part of your day. I know Paul, Grace, and Andy appreciate it. They buy their coffee from Indonesia, Thailand, Nicaragua, around the world, right to your doorstep. Free shipping on orders of $30 or more. And you get 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. We tackle life in all caps. All right, elsewhere around the country, Iowa, Saturday, smashed by Purdue. That's embarrassing for Iowa, embarrassing for the Big Ten, 24-7. Can't allow that to happen on your home field. So that hurts Ohio State because now Iowa is not going to be undefeated when Ohio State plays them in the Big Ten championship game. Alabama got back on the beam. Bama looked really, really good winning at Mississippi State. I thought they probably would, and in fact, they did. Uh, Will Bama lose the rest of the way? Don't see it happen. I don't see it happening. Bama is now fully awake, and I would imagine that they will have their mind on their business. They got Tennessee this week. They play uh, LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, at Auburn. So three games at home, actually four games at home, Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, and then they go on the road at Auburn. Auburn is not a team that, to me, has any chance of beating Alabama this year. And Alabama will get a rematch. Well, no, Alabama will get a game against Georgia in the SEC title game. Now, if Alabama would lose to Georgia, then 
there will be people who will say, oh, they don't deserve to be in. They got two losses. No two-loss team has ever been picked for the playoff. At some time, a two-loss team will be picked for the playoff. It would stand a reason that that two-loss team would either be Ohio State or Alabama since they are um, the two teams that right now have a loss and could lose again but might still be passing the eye test and be judged to be one of the top four teams. I do not believe Georgia will beat Bama. I do not believe Georgia's offense is good enough to beat Bama. And Georgia's defense, I am viewing as though Georgia's defense held Clemson without a touchdown and Clemson had Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and Justin Ross and all the other guys, uh, you know, uh, T. Higgins and all the other. But they didn't have those guys. They had Justin Ross. They didn't have T. Higgins. They didn't have Trevor Lawrence. They didn't have Travis Etienne. So that's not the Clemson that Georgia played. So I got to see Georgia a little bit more, but I think they don't have the quarterback who can make it happen like Bryce Young can make it happen. So right now I would pick Bama to beat Georgia, and then they're both in. They're both in. Ohio State, Cincinnati, let the SEC teams play in one quarterfinal. Let Cincinnati and Ohio State play in the other. It'll get monster ratings. Off we go. We'll see who's left. Maybe Ohio State and Alabama, like it was last year. Would the result be any different? I don't know. I don't even know if Ohio State would blow out Cincinnati or beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got a really good defense. Watch them. You'll see. They're the legit. Cincinnati's a fun team to watch. Luke Fickle's built quite a program there. I don't think Luke Fickle is in any hurry to leave because I think he looks now going into the Big 12 like he can flat out win that Big 12 and get in the playoff a lot as a powerhouse addition to a conference that has no clue until he comes into it how to play defense. So Cincinnati's up to number two in the country. We'll see if uh, they stay there. I think if they continue to win by three touchdowns, it's pretty hard to move them down. Although I think there's a hesitancy on elevating them to number one if Georgia would happen to lose in advance of losing to Alabama in the uh, SEC title game. Of course, the big news in college football over the weekend is that (laughs) Sunday night, LSU comes out announcing their Ed Orgeron end of the year. Ed Orgeron, who was Go Tigers, Mr. LSU in 2019 when they won the championship, 15-0, Seven wins over top 10 teams, 12 wins by 10 points or more. Joe Burrow, an amazing season. What did he throw? 60 touchdown passes, blowouts all the way. And they sign Ed Orgeron after that year to a six-year deal for $9 million a year. And now they owe Ed Orgeron $17 plus million. One and a half seasons. After he wins a national title and he's out, fired. Now, they say they've evaluated the long-term prospects of the program and they don't feel good about it. Well, how good did you feel about it until Joe Burrow transferred in from Ohio State? Like, I know you had a lot of good recruits, but if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a national championship caliber team. So they're like literally one transfer away. And they're not going to wait for Ed Orgeron to get that transfer, even though he's the guy who recruited... Joe Burrow to LSU. So do I think LSU would win another national title at Orgeron? No. I didn't think they'd win the one they won. But I just just to me seems like you either were horribly premature to give him a contract that made him the second highest college football coach, or you're horribly mature, uh, premature firing him. Now I think you 
it was probably the former. I think you were horribly premature to give him that contract. But once you gave him that contract, don't you have to live with that a little bit? Like, this is just smacks of, as much as Ed Orgeron is incompetent and deserves to be fired, I mean, if you want to make that case, all right, I'm not going to sit here and defend the honor of Ed Orgeron as a head coach. But how does the AD skate on this? Like, what, Ed didn't hold a gun to your head and make you sign that contract. Like, to offer that to him is ridiculous. Who was coming after Ed Orgeron? Nobody that I know of. Now, USC and LSU are open. John Gruden and, I don't know, Urban Meyer, maybe, are out there. And uh, ethical dilemmas abound because both those guys, given pristine off-field circumstances, which, you know, is not present for either one of them, uh, would be uh, highly coveted for either one or both of those jobs. So we'll stand by and see. Another guy who could be available is uh, Nick Rolovich of Washington State. Now, you may never heard of Nick Rolovich, but Nick Rolovich could be headed for the unemployment ranks, not because his team is losing. They've won three in a row. Not because he's losing. Washington State is essentially a 500 team since Nick Rolovich replaced Mike Leach. No, Mike Leach, no, excuse me, Nick Rolovich could be out of a job because he hasn't been vaccinated. And the state of Washington requires all state employees to be vaccinated. And Nick Rolovich has declined to be vaccinated and has asked for a religious exemption. Now, they evaluate these religious exemptions anonymously. So he's not going to get any favoritism from anybody saying, well, you know, I want to fire our football coach. They won three in a row. They beat Stanford. Nick Rolovich, his fate, if you want to call it that, will be determined by his athletic director. And his athletic director, this is a little inside baseball for you Buckeye fans, is former Ohio State sports information assistant Pat Chun. Pat Chun, he's gone on to an, a career in athletic administration. He's the assistant. He's the AD, not the assistant AD. He's the AD at Washington State. So if Rolovich gets the exemption, it doesn't mean that he's definitely going to keep his job because Pat Chun could say, nope, this is a headache to keep my head football coach socially distant from my players. He's got to wear a mask all the time. I don't want my coach wearing a mask. So Rolovich and a bunch of his assistant coaches are unvaccinated, but do you want to fire a coach in the middle of a season and do that to your players? Do you want to fight the legal fight to say you're firing him for cause and you don't owe him any more money on his contract because he might be subject to being paid 60% of his salary through 2025. Does Washington State have the coin to throw a million dollars plus at Nick Rolovich every year for the next three years? No, they don't. So this is going to be very interesting. Uh, what they do with Nick Rolovich in the, in the wake of a vaccine mandate that is supposed to apply to all state employees in the state of Washington. Now, if you find yourself in such a jackpot at work, that's an employment law situation. My buddies at Willis Spangler Starling, the attorney firm that I patronize and that you should too, will take care of you. Willis Spangler Starling, located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. They'll do a phenomenal job for you. They are expanding, and they wouldn't be expanding if the word wasn't getting out that they're a great firm. They do take some cases on contingency. They do also take some cases on a flat fee basis. So if you're looking for a great attorney, employment law, Social Security disability, Will's estate planning, probate, personal injury. Willis Spangler Starling is the firm that I would recommend because they're the firm that I would choose and that I have chosen in the past. 
Willis Spangler Starling. They're located online at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. They are located physically on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just a little bit north of the Home Depot Target uh, retail complex there on Truman Boulevard, just north of Mill Run. All right, now to the National Football League. Congratulations to Urban Meyer. He is uh, a winning football coach after claiming victory on a walk-off field goal against the Miami Dolphins on Sunday morning in London. So the Jags do not need to worry about setting an NFL record for consecutive losses. They uh, lose 20 in a row, but not 21. So they get off the schneid. However, the Detroit Lions of my man Chris Spielman, number three in the organization, continue to look for their first victory as the Cincinnati Bengals go into Ford Field. And the Cincinnati Bengals just absolutely dominate the Detroit Lions. Final score was, I think, 34-11. to Bengals look really, really good. They are 4-2. and two. They have matched their victory total from a year ago. They scored on, I think, five or six consecutive possessions in the second half, spanning the end of the first half and the second half. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase are a lethal combination. Joe Burrow finds C.J. Uzama. He finds T. Higgins. He finds Tyler Boyd. He balances the attack. Mixon is a nice piece in the backfield. Uh, they've won that game convincingly without Samaj P. Ryan, who's been a big part of their offense. So I think the Cincinnati Bengals, they got their work cut out for them this week at the Ravens. But after that, they play the Jets on the road, the Browns at home. Um, they could win both those games. At the Raiders, they could win that game. Steelers at home, they could win that game. The Cincinnati Bengals could be looking at 8-3 and three, or maybe 7-4. and four. Uh, past the midpoint of the season. So the rest of their games, they get the Chiefs at home. They're probably not going to beat the Chiefs. They're on the road at the Broncos. That's a winnable game. They are home against the Chargers. They can beat anybody in Paul Brown Stadium. I just tell you what, I thought the Bengals would be better. I didn't think their defense would be as good as it is. Logan Wilson is a really good player for them. They have, they believe And the most important thing for the Bengals is that they believe in their quarterback, and why wouldn't they? Joe Burrow is showing a remarkably fast recovery from an ACL surgery, and I think the Cincinnati Bengals have to sit there and feel extremely confident about the next 10 years of their franchise because of Joe Burrow. Which, of course, brings me to... The Cleveland Browns and their just non-competitive loss to the Arizona Cardinals. Now, I know the Arizona Cardinals are undefeated, and they're the only team in the National Football League that's undefeated, and maybe the Arizona Cardinals are going to win the Super Bowl. And we'll look back on a 37-14 to home loss to the Arizona Cardinals in mid-October. is not that big of a deal at the end of the year because after, the, after all, the Cardinals went 14-3 mm, and three and won the Super Bowl. Well, we're not there yet. Okay, so right now we have to react in the moment to what we see. And what we see with the Browns is a very hurt team. And what we see is a team that its quarterback continues to be up and down and up and down. He was really bad against the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And then he was pretty good against the L.A. Chargers. And he was really bad 
against the Arizona Cardinals. Turned it over three times, threw a bad interception, fumbled the ball twice, uh, fell on his left shoulder, worsened his already existing left shoulder injury, and in addition to that, the Browns lose Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and Kareem Hunt for a couple of weeks as both are on IR. Uh, Nick Chubb will be back. Kareem Hunt is a big loss because Kareem Hunt just runs angry. I don't know that I've seen a back in a long time who is as unwilling to go down as Kareem Hunt. He absolutely punishes people. He has no regard for his personal safety. He is a weapon, and there's just no way the Browns can take Kareem Hunt out of the lineup and not have it cost them points over the next few weeks while he is out. This team is really hurt. It's tackles. Uh, Conklin and Wills were out against the Cardinals. I don't know if they'll be back Thursday against the Broncos. But right now, this is a must-win. This is a must-win for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, The Broncos are not the John Elway Broncos, okay? They're the Teddy Bridgewater Broncos. They're a very beatable football team. But they're also a team that could give the Browns trouble. The Steelers, the following week, well, it's uh, kind of like a mini-bye week because you play Thursday night against Denver, and then you play the following Sunday, you know, 10 days later against the Steelers, that's not a gimme. That's not a gimme. Steelers are 3-3. Three and three. They took the Seahawks into overtime and beat the Seahawks. I would assume the Browns could beat the Steelers in Cleveland. But you think about where this team could be. If they can't beat the Broncos, and then they would happen to lose to the Steelers home, Bengals on the road, then they got to go to the Patriots. At that point in time, you know, Stefanski said it yesterday. The Browns are a 3-3 three and three football team. Face who you are, not who you think you are, or who you aspire to be, or who people believe you to be. I think most people think the Browns are talented enough to be certainly 4-2, and two, maybe even 5-1. and one. But they're not. They're 3-3. Three and three. And again yesterday, we saw a failure of Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham to link up and really form a viable passing combination. I don't know how long I don't know how long you want to stick with this failed experiment of Odell Beckham being a guy who can command double coverage and open everything up for everybody else on the offense. Odell Beckham does not to me appear to be worth the time, effort, headache and everything else you invest in him. I don't know that you'd get a first-round pick for Odell Beckham right now. In fact, I doubt you would. Everybody's devalued in the middle of a season. But the Browns would not miss him if he's not in the lineup. They just wouldn't. Like, when Landry comes back, they have Rashard Higgins, they have Donovan Peoples-Jones. They have enough without having Odell Beckham. I just don't believe that the amount of money, the amount of oxygen that he eats up in the room is worth it. So I would say get what you can for him, but – I wouldn't want to be paying his salary next year. Maybe the offseason you get more for him. Maybe at the draft you get more for him. You're going to get pennies on the dollar when you give him away now because you are really giving him away. It's not really a distraction except that there's a there's a debilitating effect to having unrealized potential on your team and having the same question continually come up. And every single week the question is coming up. Why aren't you throwing it more to Odo Beckham? Why isn't Odo Beckham what he was with the New York Giants? Well, he's just not. I don't know if he's physically able to be. I don't know if your quarterback's able to get it to him. But something's wrong in that equation of Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham. It should be better than it is. The fact of the matter is it is not. And so 
for maybe perhaps the good of everyone, they need to move on and get back to basics and stop thinking of themselves so highly. That's one of the toxic parts of having a talent like Odell Beckham is you start to think, well, we got Odell Beckham. Yeah, well, what's it translating to in terms of numbers? We got Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, well, you're three and three. Yeah, you're three and three. And so that's who you are. You're not who you aspire to be. You're not who you other people think you could be. You are who you are. As Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record says you are. Likewise, the numbers tell the story on your health insurance. What you're paying, what you're getting. That's the cold hard facts. You may think you have a great plan. And when you put it into effect, it may have been a great plan. But now it's three, four, five years down the road, and you haven't checked because, well, I have good health insurance. You sure? Think there's been any change in health insurance over the last five years? Think there's been any change in government regulations? Think there's been any cost-cutting going on? Think there's been any uh, movement among doctors or hospitals? Maybe even the hospital's sold. Maybe it doesn't even have the same affiliation anymore. Wouldn't it behoove you to find out the answers to those questions ahead of time? so that you don't get caught unawares when you lock into a situation that causes you to go to the hospital, causes you to have some kind of a procedure, causes you to actually access the health insurance you've been paying for, assuming is good, but never knowing because you haven't had to use it. I'm getting to, of course, my friends at auiinfo.com. They are the authority on all things insurance, not just health, but vision, dental, disability, life, you're an employer, you can offer all those things to you, your employees to attract and keep the best employees. If you are an individual, now is right on the cusp of the open enrollment period where you get to actually change your insurance if you want to. So this would be the time to reach out online to auiinfo.com and let them show you that what you're paying is actually a good expense because that'll put your mind at ease. And some things it's better to know than not know. And all things it's better to know before you need to know than when you need to know. And auiinfo.com is a free service, always free. Not just free the first time, the second time, the third time, but every single time, auiinfo.com. Check them out on the web. Mention the We Tackle Life podcast. It's auiinfo.com. It's easy as typing in your questions into their chat or an email you want to do a Zoom call, you want to do an in-person visit, you can, but my time is valuable. So is yours. AUIinfo.com will give you all the answers and save you doing the research yourself. AUIinfo.com. Okay, today in the faith portion of the podcast, I want to talk about a verse from Proverbs 15. And this verse jumped out at me Sunday morning when I read it in the course of going back and reading the previous chapters of Proverbs. It was the 17th of the month, so I was reading Proverbs 17, but I also like to go back and leaf through eh, a couple, 15, 16, 17. And I landed, and I don't know why, but I felt I needed to pay attention to it. This verse, Proverbs 15, verse 8, and it reads, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Now, a couple things in this verse that first I land on the word detest. Detest is a word that means like it sounds. Detest. I detest that. It has emphasis. It has punctuation. It has power. 
detest is a ardent dislike, a disdain, a disgust for something. And it says the Lord detests what? The sacrifice of the wicked. Okay, so the wicked are evil people, people who are not walking with God, people who don't aspire to walk with God, people do not people who do not have a right relationship with God. What is their sacrifice? Because he doesn't say he despises or detests. doesn't say the Lord detests the wicked. Well, I mean, he's offered Jesus as an avenue of redemption to everyone. So God loves everyone. The Lord loves everyone. He has to punish some people because of their own bad choices. Here, but what does he detest? He detests that, not the wicked, the sacrifice of the wicked. So what would the sacrifice of the wicked be? Well, if you know anything about Bible times, you know that prior to Jesus coming to earth as a man, fully man, fully God, as the Savior of the world, the way to regain right standing with God after engaging in sinful behavior was to offer a sacrifice to God. And an animal sacrifice, or sometimes a grain sacrifice. But God set forth in his law in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I think in the book of Leviticus, some in Deuteronomy, exactly how these sacrifices were to be made. And he was very specific in how he wanted these sacrifices to be made. Certain animals sufficed for certain sins. Sometimes a dove, sometimes a goat, sometimes a lamb, sometimes an ox or a cow uh, or a bull. Okay, so and it had to be prepared a certain way. It had to be slaughtered a certain way. This is where we get the Jewish dietary restrictions for keeping kosher. We get it from the Old Testament. We get it from God's law, how he ordained and set forth exactly how he wanted animals to be killed, to be prepared, and to be placed on the altar. Very specific. And at times in the Old Testament, when people would do it wrong, God would talk about how he found that particular sacrifice done in the wrong way, animal killed in the wrong way, or offered in the wrong way, or whatever, about how that sacrifice was smoke in his nostrils, that the aroma offended him, that it was repulsive to him. He detested sacrifice that did not Fit according to how he said to do it. Similarly, this is what we're talking about in Proverbs 15.8. <clears throat> the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. Well, if you think of an animal sacrifice, it was, a, it was an offering, a worship, a form of worshiping God. You were crying out to God. You wanted to be reconciled to God. You wanted to get back in right relationship with him. So basically he said, what do I have to do to get back in right relationship with you? Well, What's your sin? Aha, here it is to atone for this sin. All right, you take a lamb and you slaughter it this way and you prepare it this way and you put it on the altar this way and you do this to it. You set it on fire in this particular manner. And then if you follow all those rules, okay, great. Then I'll accept your offering of repentance, your sacrifice of this animal to atone for, to pay the debt for your sin. Well, we don't do that anymore, of course. We don't have animal sacrifice anymore. The reason why we don't is because we have 
the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He came as the perfect Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is that sacrifice now, and he's available to all. We don't have to kill an ox or a bull and put it on an altar because Jesus has already paid the debt for our sin at the cross. And so this verse, Proverbs 15, 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. What, what he's talking about here is not an animal sacrifice. He's talking about what the wicked, what the evil, what the disobedient do and they believe this is like either they believe they're offering it like this is the right way to live or you know hey lord give me a break uh i know i'm an adulterer i know i'm a swindler i know i'm a cheater i know i'm a liar i know i i'm a glutton i know i uh you know use profanity all the time if that's all your life is offering up to God, all these evil, wicked things, of course the Lord's going to detest that. He's going to detest that. But the back half of the verse is very interesting in that he doesn't talk about any kind of behavior by the upright that pleases him. He doesn't say, but the way those upright people go to church, wow, that really pleases me. The way those upright people give in the offering, that really pleases me. The way those upright people never cuss or swear, the way those upright people never overeat, the way those upright people never cheat on their wife, that really pleases me, which I'm sure it does. But what does he say? The prayer of the upright pleases me. So what can we gather from that? What pleases God? Well, when you pray, you're acknowledging that God is in control of your life. He's in control of everything about your life. You're submitting your own way of doing things, and you're bringing your open heart, your open mind to God to say, Lord, here I am. I'm praying to you. I'm seeking your counsel. I'm asking for you to intervene in this situation. I'm wondering how to proceed in this situation. Prayer is defined by an attitude of humility and submission. The sacrifice of the wicked is not at all typified by an attitude of humility and submission. Otherwise, it wouldn't be something that God detests. So a lot of our life is evaluated by God based upon our mindset. Where do we put him in our life? What kind of priority do we give him in life? If you're a person who doesn't give him any priority at all and you're just going to go do what you want to do, all he has to evaluate you on, the only thing you're offering up to him is stuff that he finds detestable. But if you're a humble, submissive, contrite person who understands the pecking order of God is in control of my life, everything I have is from God, he allows or ordains everything in my life, well then... Your attitude is one that pleases God. So that's what I gather from that verse. I thought it was a very interesting verse. I wanted to share it with you. I'd love to hear from you on it. Uh, we tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. I'm, um, I'm always willing to interact with you on uh, matters of faith because I just am so incredibly thankful that after wasting so much of my life um, 
not getting the simplicity of the gospel, that it's all what Jesus did and nothing of what I did, that I want to save as many people as I can from that uh, empty life where you're striving to do enough, be good enough. You never can be. Um, But Jesus settled it all at the cross, and we just have to claim that. And out of gratitude for that, then, I believe if you really truly get what Jesus did for you at the cross, you will want to live differently. And it'll be a joy to live differently. It won't be a burden. It won't be um, stressful. And um, trust me, man, I've done it both ways. (laughs) I know which way is infinitely better. So that's how I'll end a Monday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. It's always uh, much appreciated what you guys uh, do, take out of your day to listen to the uh, content. Drop me an email, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Review the podcast on iTunes if you so desire, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday.